attention. Uh, today's sermon is titled, Dedication to Your Ser- Your Devotion Know with God. We are looking at Daniel chapter 6. And even with the beginning of this, I want to ask is, how has your devotional life been this year? How has it been since the beginning of January 1st till now? In the last three months, just as a quick review, have you actually been reading your Bible more? Or have you been reading your Bible less? And also, not only reading the scripture, but also with your prayer life. Have you been praying more? Or have you been praying less? Okay. Uh, We're looking at this passage. And if you feel like, oh, you know what? This year has been really crazy. This year has been really wild and extreme. And in thinking about all of this, you feel like, okay, maybe reading the word of God is difficult. Because there's a lot of things going on in this world. And I'm sad or depressed, angry or upset, and therefore I don't have time for scripture. Things are going crazy in this world. I don't have time to spend alone time with God, um, with his word. Then I have news for you that in Daniel chapter 6, really today we're going to see encouragement for us to continue to still worship and still in our personal life to pray and to read the word of God. In fact, as the world is crazy, as the world is changing and shifting, sometimes the most important, there's very little things we could change as individuals. Sometimes, to be realistic, there's very little things you and I could change in terms of big macro scale things. But yet, at the same time, at the same time, we're also realized, though, there's little things we could change for the better. Yet also, at the same time, we also realize, hey, with our neglect with certain things, we could also make things worse in this world and also for those around us. And among the most important thing you could be doing in your life right now in the midst of everything that is crazy is actually to have your personal devotional life with God right. When I read Daniel 6, I think this is, in some sense perhaps is relatable to us more than we realized perhaps in even two years ago, okay? In light of everything that has been happening thus far, some of us might say, well, you know, I know there's certain people with various opinions, okay? There's people with various opinions of things going on right now, true or not. There's a lot of different opinions, okay? Um, This is a time for us to also be nuanced even what we believe and everything else, okay? But here we see, for instance, some of us might feel like, well, you know what? I have not read the Word of God, okay, in a while, okay, and also I feel personally ministering also as well, some people have also felt like with certain national events, with certain things, they feel like, you know what, I have a hard time believing in Christianity, okay, let me give some examples of of certain things, okay, for instance, one um, example is in light of January 6th, this beginning of this year, people stormed the Capitol, and some individuals have told me, they say, you know what, it's very hard for me to follow God at this time, how could it be? And I'm thinking to myself when I'm listening, like, whoa, um, is it really right to blame the church? Is it really something to say I struggle to believe in Jesus Christ because there's some people trying to take over or whatever else, is, as the narrative says? Okay. Another example is recently, if you've been hearing on the news, also as well, right? There have been a shooting that has happened in Georgia. And some people take this advantage to say, you know what? This is Bible-believing Christian, conservative Christians are responsible or at fault with what happened. Okay, where there's all these things that's going on. And I want to look at this passage. First and foremost, um, in some ways, when you read the book of Daniel 6, in the book of Daniel, with Daniel, what's going on here right now, there is a lot of turmoil at this time period. Okay, in fact, we have just went through an election. Yes, Uh, one that has been very divisive. Okay, and there is a transition of power. And if you look at the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, if you remember the book of Daniel chapter 5, the earlier chapter, it was actually a different empire. 
it was actually a transition of powers of not even different presidents, okay, of not even a different country. There's a different empire that has just been shifted in Babylon, in this capital city called Babylon, okay. When Daniel was alive, in Daniel chapter 5, and this is an elderly Daniel, okay, who's been involved with government. In Daniel chapter 5, it was still under the Babylonian, or very specifically the Neo-Babylonian or the Chaldean Empire. But in Daniel chapter 5, that king was removed out of his pride. And Daniel chapter 6 is actually under the Persian empires. Now, when you look at this, you might say, okay, well, could we relate in some ways? Now, I do think in what's going on in Daniel 6 is perhaps more dramatic than what we're going through. It's not just a change of kings. It's a change of empires, okay? Looking also as well in Daniel chapter 6, we also see that there is also cancel culture, to the max, yes, okay? Where you see what's going on here is this individual is a man named Daniel who is involved with, uh, with, with uh, in his role as his job is he is a government advisor, okay? But yet because of his Christian faith or correction, his biblical faith or his devotion to the biblical God, there's going to be people that would not like him, that would be jealous of him, that does not like him, and they're going to take the advantage of an opportunity to weaponize his Christianity or his walk with God and cancel his, him out. Is that a relatable theme with 2021? Anyone? What do you guys think? Right? Have we not hear all these discussion of things being canceled today? Yes? From, I don't know, like Speedy Gonzalez to, what do you call those books? Um, Dr. Seuss, right? Or, or all these things and, and, and all these discussion about things being canceled and everything else, okay? Here we are in this passage we're looking at. I want to say in light of all these craziness, if all these things depresses you and makes you sad or makes you wonder where is all these things going? What if things I write about God and Christianity and evangelizing, what if I get fired? What if everything else? Hey, my brothers and sisters, continue to still have your personal devotion with God and don't be swept away with the fears of the moment. Today, we're going to see three excuses. How many excuses? Three excuses that we should put away, that we should put away, okay? Uh, so uh, in terms of being an obstacle to our personal, private devotions with God. Let me say this again. Today we're going to see three excuses, three excuses we should put away as obstacles that deter us from our personal devotion with God, okay? These are kind of a bit long-worded sentences, Okay? Um, long worded sentences with um, each point. If you're taking notes, excuse number one we're looking at. Excuse number one we want to look at is I have too much important things to have my daily devotions with God. Okay. Excuse number one is this I have too much important things to have my daily devotions with God. Okay. Let me say this again I have too much important things to have my daily devotions with God. That's point number one. Okay. I have too much important things to have my daily devotions with God. That's point number one. Okay. By the way, each one of these points, as we look at each one, it's going to go from the mundane and relatable with everyday experience to even more dramatic where you feel like, oh, if these are happening, even more reasons why I should not be reading the Bible or having prayer towards God. Okay. Excuse number two. Excuse number two. Getting deeper into my faith. Getting deeper into my faith. Might mean that others might mean that others will use the law of God, will use the law of God against me. Let me repeat it again. Excuse number two is this getting deep into my faith might mean that others will use the law of God against me. Will use the law of God against me. 
let me rephrase this again. I know these are long-winded. By the way, each as we go over each point, I'll repeat the titles again, okay? Um, or points. Excuse number two, getting deeper into my faith might mean that others will use the law of God against me, okay? Getting deeper into my faith might mean that others will use the law of God against me, okay? Let me review uh, excuse one and two again. Excuse number one, I have too much important things to have my daily devotions with God. I have too much important things to have my daily devotions with God. That's excuse number one. Excuse number two, getting deeper into my faith might mean that others will use the law of God against me. And then excuse number three, okay, excuse number three, I'm going to repeat them one more time, the whole thing before we go into our um, each point. Excuse number three is my circumstances, my circumstances does not allow me to have the opportunity to have the devotional life. And these circumstances can't be changed. Let me repeat excuse number three again. I know it's long worded, but there's a reason why I'm going over these, okay? Excuse number three, my circumstances does not allow me to have the opportunity to have a devotional life. And these circumstances can't be changed. These circumstances can't be changed. My circumstances does not allow me to have the opportunity to have a devotional life with God. And these circumstances cannot be changed, okay? Let me repeat again all three points because I think it's important to see these three points. Number one is, I have too much important things to have my daily devotions with God. Excuse number two, getting deeper into my faith might mean that others will use the law of God against me. Number three, my circumstances does not allow me to have the opportunity to have a devotional life and these circumstances can't be changed. The key emphasis with number three is, uh, these circumstances can't be changed, okay? Like I said earlier, when we look at these, each one of these excuse goes from the regular and mundane, relatable, with our day-to-day experience, to one where, wow, a lot of more crazy things. It seems that we have better excuses to not have our personal devotional of God. By the way, in beginning in all this, we're looking at these three points. What I mean by devotional includes two elements, prayer and the reading of God's Word. So it involves two elements, which is what? Prayer and the reading of God's word. Very clearly from reading Daniel 6, we see that prayer is at stake with his devotional. Because you see, for instance, in verses uh, 10, right? Daniel clearly is going in his home, in his private home, opening the window facing Jerusalem and praying, as it says. Okay, But you might say, Jimmy, there's no talk about the reading of the word of God in this chapter. And that technically is true. But I still include reading of God's word as part of devotional because in Daniel chapter 9, okay, in Daniel chapter 9, you would see that part of Daniel's devotional life is not just only prayer in isolation to other discipline. But in Daniel chapter 9, you see very specifically in verses 2 where it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observe in the book of the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. Stop there real quick. He's reading the book of Jeremiah. Okay. By the way, this is a man of God who God has spoken through as a prophet. Daniel is a prophet. Say this real quick with me. Daniel is a prophet. Give Rebecca up your hand. Daniel is a prophet. Daniel's a prophet. Who writes the word of God. Who writes the word of God. Thank you so much. Okay. Here's someone. Now, I don't know about you. You and I do not write the word of God. If you think you're writing the Word of God, then we could have a private conversation later. But none of us here write the Word of God. And if this is a man that writes the Word of God and is a prophet, 
and he reads the word of God to read the book of Jeremiah, how much more so should all of us in our devotional not only should pray, but read the word of God. In fact, if you look at chapter two, uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 2, it says that when he read Jeremiah, he saw application and relevance to his life. In Jeremiah 9, 2, he says, He read the part of the book of Jeremiah, which mentions that after 70 years after the temple's destruction, the Jews will go back from exile. That there will be some who would go back to Israel and start up again Jerusalem. Specifically, if you see this mention, you can isolate this to realize the part of Jeremiah that he read. Is Jeremiah 29 and 30. That's very specific. That talks about the prophecy. That Israel and Jerusalem will be judged by God. Or Judah will be judged by God. But God is still faithful. Even though they're kicked out in exile by the Babylonians. And live under their Persian reign. Yet some remnant. Some remnant of the Jews. Will go back. And Jerusalem will still be once more. The promised land for the Jews. Okay, So if this includes devotion of prayer and the reading, the private reading of God's word, we want to say this is what we are called to do. We see the example of Daniel. But in light of seeing the example of Daniel, we see excuse number one that we could have of not having a personal devotion, no life. Excuse number one is this. I have too much important things to have my daily devotions with God. I have too much important things to have my daily devotions with God. Let us read again Daniel chapter 6. We're going to look and pay attention to the first four verses. I want to ask Joshua at this time, if possible, could you just read the first four verses of this passage, which anchor our point number one, which again, let me say excuse number one, is I have too much important things to have my daily life, a daily devotion with God. Go ahead, Josh. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possible. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay. In Daniel chapter 6, we see Daniel was a busy man. We see here Daniel's a busy man. And by the way, do we not often sometimes assume that we can be too busy to not spend time to read the Word of God and to pray? And if we're faithful to God, I think it is possible uh, that we would still have our personal devotional life with God. Even as busy as we are, have you realized whatever we see is important, we will always do. True or not, okay? Uh, high schoolers, for instance, could say, I'm too busy in my life. I have sports, I have orchestra or band, or I have all these extracurricular clubs and activities I have to do. But have you realized what even in the busyness of, as you are, you will always like to do what is important to you. For instance, as busy as 
individuals are in high school, and some of us could look back and say this is true. As busy as we are, if we put and love games more than anything else, will people still manage to still play video games, even when they have AP tests, even when they have uh, honors classes, even as they have extracurricular activity and everything else? What do you guys think? The answer is yes, okay? Okay? So that's just being real. We always put what we would like to do the most, okay? When you look at Daniel, I think we see Daniel is very busy. He has a lot of big responsibility, okay? In preaching this sermon, I always want to be very careful when it talks about the Word of God, reading and praying. Um, when people say they are too busy, I don't want to approach this to say you guys don't have anything busy, okay? I don't want to approach this and make light of the responsibility that you and I do or belittle that, okay? That's not probably the best way. I think the best way is to still see, yes, we are very busy. We have a lot of responsibility, very legitimate ones that we have involving family, um, individual responsibility of our own things that get in order, and also work and other uh, commitments we have. But still in our busyness, still make time with the Lord. I think that's the best approach to take this, okay? Daniel has big responsibilities. In verses 1 and 2, you see that he's involved with the bureaucratic administration of the Persian Empire. In fact, the Persian Empire was very, very big. The landmass of the Persian Empire was, was huge, okay? Was really big, okay? Involving different kinds of people, different kind of ethnic groups, and all kinds of things. In fact, if you notice in verses 1, it mentioned that Darius, the Persian king, appointed 120 satraps. You might say, what is 120 satraps? I think maybe the best way to think of satraps are guys that are in charge of little different states, okay? In American... In American political um, political system, we often call guys in charge of state, what is the name? G-word. Governors, okay? So this, apparently the Persian Empire was so big, they had to have 120, what? Governors or states, so to speak, okay? But instead of being called governors, they were called satraps, okay? And even among 120, there's so much, they decide to still break it down or to still uh, have further administrative bureaucracy by having with these three commissioners over them, okay? Now, we don't see exactly how is it the division of these three governors, uh, 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 three commissioners, I'm sorry, that govern these um, satraps. But if we divide them equally, we could say that each one is control of what? 40, okay? We, we don't know for sure if it's, but if we were to divide this equally, give or take, each one will probably be in control of 40, okay? Now, let me ask you guys this question. How many states does the United States have? 50 states. 50 states, okay? And each one would be in control about 40. Do you guys think this, these commissioners are busy? What do you guys think? Pretty busy, okay? And Daniel, according to verses 3, is one of them. In fact, he wasn't just one of the commissioner. When you look at these three in comparison of their administrative ability, according to verse 3, it mentioned that among these commissioners, the one that stood out among them, that extinguished himself, as it says in verse 3, is who? Darius, okay? And it says the reason why is because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, okay? And echoing about the, the spirit of the Holy Spirit. And it says that the king saw this and even appointed him to decide to promote him by what? Even greater than the other commissioners and decided, you know what? I'm going to have Daniel to be in control of the other commissioners. And other commissioners are all these satraps. In other words, this guy was busy. 
okay? And by the way, he wasn't just only busy with these roles. When you are doing something really good, you're even putting more time and effort into something, right? Which means on top of already being busy with already his written role of what he's supposed to do, he done things well. And if you do anything well sometimes, you realize leadership is what? It's a nonstop role and responsibility that sometimes it spills over what with overtime. Well, you know, no matter what, look at how CEOs are. I remember one time being a security guard, uh, escorting one of the Disney CEO, okay, uh, was escorting and realized they set up everything that was nice, a green room of everything else, nice. And I realized, even though they set up a premiere, there's this, I forgot what Disney movie, he was supposed to be in this nice, you know, like you guys see in those movies, like how Lincoln goes to like a theater, they have like a special booth for him. Like he was in one of those booths at El Capitan Theaters in Hollywood. Setting up, they set up all these things, free soda and everything else. And I was observing this guy, while well, observing this guy, is this guy, with all these luxury, he was not milking. He was too busy on his what? On his Blackberry, answering emails nonstop, answering things. He was in there, and then while the movie, he makes his speech for the movie and say, you know, welcoming, and starts. But as soon as he sit down, he was not watching any movies. You know what he was doing? He was answering administrative things. He was not texting. He was not Facebook. He was not. He was not on Twitter. He was not on on on, on whatever people do these days, right? Discord or whatever else. He was busy answering things. In fact, after a while, he would walk to the alleyway, through the exit door of the fire escape, and I had to open those doors and watch him while he's what? Busy answering phone calls. And he, he was telling me, hey, I have to answer this international call, right? And then he's answering things. We're doing business with Asia and everything else. And I'm thinking, wow, does this man ever sleep? If you do things well at a high-capacity leadership, sometimes you're no longer paid hourly. You're paid salary, true or not. Because what the obligation, the expectation is you're doing this well and it's going to cut over over time and involves all of your core and being. And he, Daniel, did this well and he was promoted. But yet, involved this, when he did things well, notice how well does he do it. He did not cut corners. He did not cut corners of corruption. Look at verses 4. Look at verses 4. It says the commissioners and satraps began to find grounds of accusation against him, right? They want to set a truth commission. They want to do a congressional hearing, so to speak, to find some fault with him. And they realized this guy did not cut any corners. This guy did not have no tax evasion, so to speak. None of these things. And they could not find it. This is a man that did his work well, so busy. When you don't cut corners, it takes time. When you don't cut moral corner, when you are a man of integrity with everything else, you would be busy. And Daniel, in verses 10, still had a devotional life. Notice his dedication. He had a dedicated place in verse 10 where it says his what? He had a roof chamber. He had a certain way of doing things. He had windows open towards Jerusalem. He was so dedicated in his prayer life, he wasn't just in general praying with his eyes open. Notice he was kneeling on his knees, as verse 10 says. Kneeling on his knees. How often? Three times a day. Three times a day, it says. And it says also in verse 10, giving thanks before God. Rather than a liability with his success and his busyness, and his success at his workplace, he saw that there is a direct correlation with God and his work and his busyness, is that God has flourished all his busyness. And he made that clear in Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, right? The narrator makes it clear. Daniel himself, the narrator, says that then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioner and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. 
Who's that extraordinary spirit that lives in him? It is the Holy Spirit. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Something else. What happened? Uh, I googled satrap, and it says provincial governor in the ancient Persian Empire. Yeah. So provisional is often referred to provinces as a, a term that sometimes is used instead of state. Okay. Um, with that. Okay. So other, like for instance, Canada, they don't call it state. What do they call it? They call it provinces, provinces, right? Of Alberta, of British Columbia, and, and on and on it goes. Okay. And yet we see here, okay, the light with all of this, he still put God first, right? Okay. I remember when I was younger, I remember the pastor was telling me when I was younger at our church, he was telling me, hey, when you're in college, you should never be too busy to read the Word of God. And I remember thinking at that time, I was like, how could what he said be true? You know, um, you know, there'll be times where I want to really study midterms, and I would really want to work on finals. And he'll say, oh, you're still going to go to Tuesday Bible study. And I'll be, oh, no, but I really, really got to study. I, today, I'm not going to go to evangelism. And then, without fail, at Tuesday at 4.30, guess who knocks on my door? Even if I say we're not. Pastor Andrew. Knocks at the door, and you guys know Andrew has that smile. He says, hey, how's your study going? He says, oh, it was okay. I probably need more time. Well, you studied, right? He says, yeah, I did, but I need more time. He's like, hey, let's go evangelize, okay? Uh, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, we're going to go evangelize, okay? And he, and he says, I can't evangelize because you have the board. I said, oh, that's why he makes me have the evangelism board at my house, right? That's why I have the tables or whatever else, because he's going to have me go out there. And every time I evangelize, every time I go to Bible study, I look back and say, like, hey, there's no regret. I actually thought it was good to share the truth of God, to evangelize, right? And it always says, hey, Andrew, did you purposely have me with evangelism signed for a reason? And he always had the smile. So he says, I'm not telling you. Why? I said, okay, that answered my question there, okay? And yet, I remember, he always said, you're not, never busy. And I remember thinking, well, I'm busy with term. Now that I got a little older, then going to grad school, I said, wow, college was, was like nothing. That was like pretty easy, Okay. Then afterward, I remember people saying, hey, you know, other seminarians saying, hey, you know, you have it easy. You're single and you are, could study. You know, it'll be much harder when you're married. Then you got married and I was like, hey, you know what? When the kids come, you'll even be more busier. And I was like, wow. Each time I'm looking back, I say, hey, actually, that is true. Okay. As application, would you put him first no matter how busy you are? And I know many of us are very, very busy. I'm not downplaying this. I'm not minimizing this. It's not a comparison game. But see the example of Daniel. That if you, whatever you love, you would do first. Also, as application, would you trust God's word that he will reward those who seek him? Do you believe that God says in his word that he reward those who seek him? Hebrews 12.6. Hebrews 12.6. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read this real quick. Hebrews 12.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. And pay attention to what's next. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when we seek God, we will be rewarded? Now, don't be formulaic in Hebrews 12, 6. Don't think, oh, you know what? If I go to God, if I go to God and seek him, therefore, I'm going to get this amount of money. If I go to God and therefore, I will have this relationship. This car, this house, this, this, whatever it is in the blank, I uh, fill in the blank. I think we cannot be formulaic, but I think there is a truth 
Whatever it is, we cannot domesticate God and put God in a straight to say, hey, we want Him to answer this way. This is the only way we can reward Him. We must not have that kind of mentality. But still, is this verse true? That He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Do you believe that? I hope we believe God's Word here. Also, as well as application question, why won't you spend time with God and see if He's not faithful? In light of this verse, okay? Why won't you believe and go by faith and even say, I want to see whether or not this is true and that God is faithful with His Word. See if He does not talk to you about your life and energize you. By the way, even if you have to suffer as application, won't you suffer for your relationship with God rather than pursue what is temporary? People suffer for things all the time for things that are temporary, right? People suffer for what? Even with things that are temporary that people don't even know about, right? That they might... You guys realize even with things like Olympics, in a few years, someone's going to beat someone's score. You guys realize that? It's inevitable, okay? For, I think about swimming all the time as an example. People swim at a certain time, and you think like, okay, no one could break that human record, right? Then people sh- shoot up more drugs, more exercise things, more all these things to work on their muscle, various f- fitness. And then they discover, uh, they build a design, a certain swimsuit, right? That makes them even more agile uh, to swim even faster. I don't know the science and mechanics of that, right? But then all of a sudden you see guys like all of a sudden smashing records, Right? Like crazy. Okay, I remember when Michael Phelps was getting big, like, wow, everyone's, it was like every time they swim, they were breaking record with this new suit and, and new, of course, new methods and everything else, right? And guess what? It's inevitable. People would sacrifice their body and health for that. But how much more so should we sacrifice for something not temporal, but even uh, eternal? Okay? Busy. The more busy you are, important. I think it's important to realize sometimes God allows us to be more busy is to actually allow us to put our priority in order. Have you guys made this observation? Have you guys ever made this observation? If you're, if you have a day, a day where you have nothing to do except for one thing, do you ever get that one thing done? Let's just say it's a day that's if you have off, and you have to, I don't know, file taxes. Right. That's the only thing you have to do. That's the only thing you have to do that day. You, you don't have to go to work and everything else. And guess what? How many people say, oh, you know what? I'll file taxes later. I'm going to watch a movie. I'm going to read. I'm going to talk. I'm going to hang out with people. And then that one responsibility you have, you don't get it done. But days that you have so many responsibility and deadlines, you suddenly realize, uh-oh, I have to really wake up early and really get everything done because if not, I'm, in, I, I, I'm going to be in bad shape. Then you get what? Everything done. And sometimes maybe the way to think about when you're busy is not as an excuse, but as a way to say, okay, I need to put everything in order so that in everything a lot of time, that includes a lot of time of being in God's Word. Of being in God's Word. I'll be honest, I feel in my own life looking back, those times when I'm most busy are sometimes the best time that I'm in God's Word. Okay. Now I'm not saying there's times I've never been or been so busy I did not uh, been in God's word, I've neglected. There are, but if when I look at the time when I'm most constantly in God's word, it was never the time where I have nothing else to do. To be, I'm going to be very frank. Be very honest. Is it? It's never the time where I have nothing else to do at all. Okay. Yeah, there's times where I'm on vacation. Then it's a time to read more of God's word. Yes, that has happened. But in terms of daily devotional of God, has never been a time where I have nothing else to do. In fact, everything else doing also makes me feel it's important to put God's word as a priority. Okay. So see this as not an excuse. Let's go to excuse number two. Excuse number two is getting more deeper in my faith. Getting more deeper in my faith might mean 
that others will use the law of God against me. If you're taking notes, I know it's kind of long. When you can just write number two. We've hopefully numbered in your outline already. Number two, everything's spelled out, okay? Let me say this again. Excuse number two. Getting more deeper in my faith might mean that others will use the law of God against me. Will use the law of God against me. We are sometimes, our objection to reading God's word is that we're afraid that God's standard will somehow be used against us and hurt us. Maybe our career, maybe our relationship with others. So therefore we feel like people could hurt us or people could use our reading of God's word and say, hey, you're supposed to be a Christian, how come you're not this? And then therefore we say, okay, I'm not going to read God's word because I don't want to shame God and make myself a hypocrite and therefore God is blasphemed, that kind of thing, okay? But I also want to make a point that if we are faithful to God, the safest place to be is still in obedience of God's word by actually being in God's word, okay? Let me look at this passage. Maybe we'll unpack what I mean by the excuse, um, the second excuse more, but we look at this, okay? Often we see God's word law is used against us because we're not faithful to God's word, right? Have you guys ever have this? Where um, you read God's word and then someone see you read God's word and you then they bring this up against you. I still remember when right before I became a Christian when I was 15, I got expelled from high school. So I had nothing else better to do at home than to read God's word, okay? I wasn't a believer. I had I was 15, but I five years earlier when I was five at a VBS, this church, you know, um, gave us Bibles. So I picked up that Bible filled with dust from 10 years, just underneath all these books. And I thought, okay, I'm going to pick this up and finally read this, okay? So while I was reading this, my mom would often say, you know what? You read that Bible, didn't it tell you to obey your mom and dad? I was like, oh man, like, so how does she know? There's a Bible verse in Ephesians 6 2 that says, you know, children obey the Lord for this is right. So, oh, wow, okay. Then I felt like, oh man, if I read this, then my mom is constantly going to bring up that I got expelled from school. Or constantly, every time I mess up, or constantly when I have an attitude, or constantly I do something else, my mom say, hey, aren't you supposed to read the Bible? Then how come you don't? obey. And I remember thinking at that point, I was like, okay, if I don't read the Bible, maybe God doesn't get like slander. Now, I don't know if this is real or not, but I certainly don't want to invoke any more supernatural, you know, um, hardship in my life with being on, on God's path, you know. But then some of us can relate to this, do we not? Some of us could say, you know, I'm so busy. The only time I have devotional life is at lunch break. When I have lunch break because I come home, there's kids, I have to feed the family, I have to cook for myself, and cooking for yourself is still hard because you spend an hour preparing, and so there's no more uh, busyness and being times with parents or whatever else, and at work, lunch. And you know what? If that's your case, God bless you. But then you might say, you know what? At work, people look at this, read the Bible, and they're going to say, hey, how come you don't act like a Christian? How come you don't do this or that? Or maybe at work, we cut corners. We are maybe not fully ethical or integrity in how we achieve company goals and benchmark. And then we read the Bible and we feel like people are going to be, hey, you're the best, uh, you're the best person that makes sales. But boy, you're not very ethical and you're reading the Bible. Uh-oh, are we going there? Are we touching anyone's hotspot right, or painful part? Then we say, you know what? I'm not going to read the Word of God. Maybe we're known as someone at work, as someone who gets angry or cusses or, or laugh at dirty jokes. And then also reading the Bible, we're like, okay, if I read this, I don't want God to be slandered. So I'm going to stop reading the Word of God. But should we read the Word of God? The answer is yes. Notice Daniel's case was similar to ours, but with a slight difference. 
when he's reading the word of God, it wasn't that he was going to stop because he was unfaithful, but rather he has now enemies against him. And that would look at him and they real look at verses 6 to 10. They realize the only way they could cancel Daniel is by getting something from God's word and cancel him out. By the way, just before you think this is only Daniel as a character, um, do we not see also as well people that have businesses that are successful, that are also known as Christians? And people are upset at them from being Christians and they want to cancel them out not because they did bad services but because simply they know that these people go by the Bible they pick some things in the Bible that the culture would not accept and say hey therefore let's go cancel them has this not happened before and has this not happened even more increasing frequency what's your favorite burger place for me it's in and out okay I love in and out okay Man, even just thinking of the name in and out, you know, I picture the little, you know, signs already, and I already want a double double of what fries, right? Uh, with that, we think of Chick Fil A, for instance. Okay, have those companies had people try to cancel them? What do you guys think? I, now, I love In and Out so much that about a few years ago, when I was helping Ben, this is when he was still a student, uh, moving out of his home, you know, his parents moved. I remember moving there, and I was in Baldwin Park, and I was reading this book. You know, I went to his house, waiting for him. I read this. As soon as, you know, he came in over there, then I put the book down. As soon as then he dropped off things, I was sitting there waiting for him. I read the book also as well, In and Out. I was so hungry because I was thinking, this is Baldwin Park. This is home of In and Out, right? You guys know in his history, people have tried to cancel them too, also as well. People might not remember this, but in the 90s, there were people that were trying to boycott them. Specifically, PETA. Those are people that, you know, think you shouldn't eat meat and stuff like that. But apparently, when they did, they had a backfire. People were saying, hey, why pick on In-N-Out? What did In-N-Out ever do to you? So then they realized, okay, we're not going to go over that. And also certain lobbyists, okay, of a certain alternative lifestyles. And we'll leave it at that, okay, um, that want to cancel that. Chick-fil-A. Have people tried to cancel them also as well? Right. Yeah. Okay. Is it because they give bad burgers? What do you guys think? Is it because they don't really pay their workers not that much? No. Right. Actually, you know, um, people get paid pretty well. These guys. Okay. In and Out has good quality services. Yes. Okay. Um, out of the burger places, there's only one that you know. Other places that we love to make you smile. You you go over there. The workers actually smile. Right. You guys remember Bible studies we have? There's actually people with signs. I remember seeing before that says what they had hospitality managers. I don't know. If some of these other burger places have a hospitality manager whose whole, sole job is to walk around, throw things away, smile, and make sure you get whatever. You, you want your mint, you get whatever else it is, right? And you're like, wow, okay. They're not canceled because they're taking advantage of the provider. In and out, by the way, for you guys to know their history. One time in the 80s, their distribution plant went back when they were small. They only had one distribution plant in Baldwin Park. It was burned down. And they can't distribute in three different states. I don't think there's ever in any history of fast food where the, distri- where the people, supp- the suppliers, I'm talking about the meat, the guys that provide the bread, the guys that provide the uh, um, lettuce. I don't think there's ever any time in history of fast food where the distribution center was burned down. They're, the people that were supplying their suppliers said, you know what? You've been so good with paying us so many good profits that we're going to decide to go deliver it ourselves in our distribution to each individual store. I don't think that's ever happened until your distribution center is fixed. It's only happened because who? in and out did not cut corners, try to say, hey, you know what? We're going to nickel and dime every single one of your suppliers. They apparently have been pretty generous with everybody, okay? Right? Like you look at right now. So I'm trying to make a point is this. 
The only reason why they, they're trying to be canceled is because of their Christian faith. Is what I'm trying to say. It's not because of like, hey, they're not paying $15 an hour for the workers or something crazy like that, okay? They're not going to be the guys that are going out there with all any of that. But if you're going to go against them, you want to pick something that's related to Christian faith. One owner though. Only one owner, Jimmy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, only one owner right now. Um, so looking at yeah. verses 6, the grandchild of the founder. Okay, looking at verses 6. Everyone here in verses 6, everybody with power was against David. Okay, uh, verses 7, okay? It says here, right? All the commissioner of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together. Why? They wanted power. They wanted that, Okay. And they also notice here they got Persian laws to contradict God's law. Look at the strategy, verses 7, that they said this, right? Notice the law. They say, anyone that makes um, a petition to gods or man besides you, O king, for 30 days. They're making it saying, okay, we're not saying you would be forever not able to go to church. Oops, right? Or, or you could never, ever, forever be able to follow after God. Just for 30 days. 30 days of purpose where no one worshiped anyone else except for the Babylonian a correction, the Persian king, Darius. So they're going to go use this. You guys realize we have a spiritual warfare? You guys realize that? Okay. You guys realize that sometimes when you read books on warfare, I know there's a fascination in uh, reading Osinju's Art of War, right? If you ever read that, right? The Art of War, even West Point read it and everything else. And they often emphasize in that book is to make what? Everything deceptive. But you guys realize that as part of our spiritual warfare, we can't be deceptive for many things as Christians because why? We cannot lie as Christians. You guys realize that? By the way, we also have an open manual. Our rules of engagement is here. You guys realize that? The enemy, the devil himself, and the enemies of God, the human agents, are also able to read the same book and realize, hey, you Christian must live by this. You guys realize this? We are operating. We can't be insurgents in that way of like changing things. We have to go by God's law. And they're going to use God's law to even go against people. So they look at the law, God's law and say, hey, we must only worship one God. And went to Darius and say, make a law that it could only be. That for 30 days, no one else's worship except for you, O king. You guys see how this was weaponized against him? But is that an excuse that we should say, hey, Daniel, you should definitely not do anything with the things of God? What do you guys think? No. Look at verse 10. Darius knew the document was signed. By the way, do you guys think Darius... Um, Daniel might have known that this law was out to get him. What do you guys think? This is not the Daniel of Daniel chapter 1 when he's that young kid deciding not to eat certain food. This is a senior citizen Daniel, okay? This is a Daniel that could get discounts at Denny's, okay? This is a Daniel that was much more older, much more wiser. And with all the political backstabbing, do you guys think he's able to read geopolitical complexities? And balance uh, power games going on and game strategy, uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, with all of that, I think he did. I think he knew the line, reading between the line here. I think he knew this was against him. And guess what he did in verse ten? He continued to pray as he did, opening the window to Jerusalem. He didn't say, "Okay, this time I'm just going to close the window. I'm going to still pray in private, but I'm not going to let people know." Right? Or maybe I pray in private, but I'm going to just mention the name Darius. But really, between God, you and I, we know it should be Yahweh or God of Jehovah, the name of the, the, God of, the name of the God of the Bible, right? No, he did not any of this. He continued as before. As application, the Bible does not promise 
by the way, that our personal devotional life will not uh, have where things will not get will all get easier. Okay, God doesn't promise necessarily better roses when we have our devotional life, but we need to realize that sometimes it comes with a cost. Realize also as well that some people would use this to go and cancel against us, right? And if you're a baker and you say you love God and you're about your faith, could people not get a certain part of the Bible and says, hey, you're intolerant? That if you are a chocolate supplier and you supply good, that you make pillows, that whatever you do, could it not be that people go against you? Listen, don't picture these days that they're only going to go after the pastor. They're, in our world today, Everyone is fair game, even with those that are progressive. I've never in my life have ever even had to defend other people that are my friends, that I consider friends still, that are woke from someone else that goes over them and say, you're not woke enough. I remember earlier this summer, there was someone that is woke that usually argued against me, where she said this simple comment saying, hey, make sure we are not having violence towards police officers. And all these people were piling upon her and said, you are not woke enough. You speak from the privilege of privilege. And I had to step and say, hey, have you noticed for the last few months, she was bashing everybody, including myself, conservative Christians. But then you're going to say she's not woke enough by saying it's okay to hurt officers. You're going to say hurting officers is okay. Like this is unacceptable. This is not acceptable at all. By the way, I reported some of those on Facebook and it's so convenient back then. There was nothing that was ever taken down. Apparently, it fits community standard. By the way, this does not work anymore. Yesterday, I actually had to report one instance where someone said it to my officer friend. and say, hey, this is not acceptable. And Facebook has removed it right away. But I'm just saying there was a time it was acceptable to community standard. I'm saying this. If they eat their own, if the left could eat their own, how about those that are much more different, Bible-believing conservative Christians? We need to put this first, that we need to still have our personal devotional life right. Let's go to excuse number three. My circumstances does not allow me to have the opportunity to have a devotional life, and these circumstances cannot change. Excuse number three. Let me say this again. My circumstance does not allow me to have the opportunity to have a devotional life, and these circumstances cannot change. Let me flesh this out. What I mean by this objection is we think that other things, priorities and relationships sometimes are so important and they're so fixed that it's so unchangeable that we believe that we are a victim of our circumstance and therefore, if we have to sacrifice one thing, we sacrifice our personal time with God. By the way, I'm not talking about here. If you notice here what's going on, there is a tension between the public and the private sphere, right? I'm not even looking at this passage. We're not even talking about the public uh, faith and representation of God, which we actually have an obligation to live out still, to still be a witness, to still tell people about God. But we're talking about right here is even our personal devotional life is being attacked. We're in such a place in our world, in the West today, that even to pray for people with certain things we disagree with to change is actually now considered a hate crime. As we see in Australia, if you were to pray for certain people whose lifestyle is different, for them to change, we're not talking about um, forced conversion kind of therapy, Kind of thing. We're not talking about that. That even to pray such thing is actually committed, considered a crime. 
We're such an age, in day and age, that even this week, if you were to even say that your own kids, their pronouns, you disagree with them, it's now an arrestable offense in the West, right? In British Columbia, which is what? In our West, which we have a shared common uh, um, you know, um, heritage, a Western uh, common law heritage also as well. We are living in this day and age where even with all that being attacked in the really private sphere of family and all these things is an area that is now considered a threat. And Darius could be setting this up to be difficult to Daniel. Notice real quick, the enemies of God is smart. Look with me real quick. When the enemies of God, the enemies of Daniel, when they went to King Darius to try to get a law to ban people praying to any gods or only to pray to Darius, notice how they go about this. They were very crafty. Look at verses 8 to 9. Before they even introduce any law, they want to ask Darius in verses 8 to 9, Hey, is it true that the laws of the Medo-Persian Empire, that once something is written, it cannot be revoked? Do you guys see that? They said this to him. Right? Do you guys see that in verses um, 8 to 9? They told him that, right? And then they made that law. And by the way, when they went and they spied, okay? They had a weaponized intelligence community, okay? They used the FBI, so to speak, to spy on this guy that's, you know, you know on, on this leader, right? Uh, on, uh, on Daniel. And they noticed that Daniel did. Pray. And by the way, when they went to the king to bring this accusation, okay, verses 12, then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Notice again, they asked this question Did you not sign an injunction that any man which make a petition any god or man uh, besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? They asked this question. Hey, Notice before they even ask penalty, they want to make sure the king is thinking constantly. This is something that cannot be changed. Because why? They want 100% certain that they would be able to nail who? Daniel. And the king's answer for the third time in the story affirmed the laws were unchangeable. The king replied, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. By the way, did Daniel know this is the law? I think so. I think Daniel probably know the law. If we could speak to the equivalence of today, this is a politician or a lawmaker that has a JD, right? Do you guys remember Daniel chapter 1? He went to a quote-unquote three-year college, right? To learn everything that was pagan, to be a future government administrator, right? And yet he chose even in college to be faithful with God by not eating all the choice food, to still do things and honor God first. Do you guys remember that? Here was a guy that had a JD, quote-unquote, a law degree, Right? A juris degree way back when he was a kid, and yet knowing all these laws, he probably knew that law cannot be revoked. And guess what happened? He still decided to follow God's law over man's law. The king, however, did not want his own law to be unchanging, and he wanted to spare the king in verses 14. I mean, this king is trying to go about with all kinds of legal maneuvers, okay? He's bringing about any such thing to maybe perhaps overturn this. And he was distressed because he finally realized what? This is weaponized to remove his most trusted and best advisor. And this advisor had none done no harm. And he likes this man, Daniel. But no matter what he does, no matter what Supreme Court appeals he has in verses 14, there's nothing else that could be done because that was the law of the land, okay? And when you see in verses 15, these men came by agreement and says, you know what? This is the case, okay? 
The king had no choice in verse 16 but to bring the ultimate penalty of death. And of death, a cruel way of being thrown in the lion's den. If you guys ever look at Babylonian artwork and Persian, they love, and the Syrian artwork, they love their lions, do they not? They love their griffith and they love all these things, okay? And they threw him in, okay? This threw him in, okay? And guess what? There, by the way, I want to emphasize everything before because there's no promise that Daniel's lying den, if we're throwing a den of lions, that you and I would somehow supernaturally survive. But here we see, we see here, his fate in God's circumstance allow him to be spared, okay? And it turned out miraculously that Daniel survived. And Darius then goes ahead and breaks his own law, which is very ironic, right? Because God is showing that he's able to break natural law, right? He's able to break these circumstances supernaturally. And therefore, now everything is changed. Where now the men that have tried to hurt him, now the table has been turned. I'm not preaching to say, hey, therefore, we should have people turn tables and hope them for the most harm. I think as Christians in the New Testament era, we desire for justice, yes. And if they don't repent, we desire for justice fulfilled. But still, in our circumstance, the key for us is to be faithful. I want to emphasize from this application, we live in a day and age where we talk a lot about victims. And there are such things as victims. But also realize as Christian, we're not the victims of an unchanging circumstance. Even if things are against us, we don't go forward with a posture that we are a victim. But we follow a victor. We follow a victor who has what? Been victorious through weakness, not through physical strength, who has come over and died for our sins. And if you're saved, take charge of your circumstance rather than the other way around. Okay, of our devotional life. Yes, people will use our faith against us. Okay, in our day and age, our world, I think it's inevitable. People, not everyone will like us. It's inevitable in every age. People don't like someone. There's always something people would not like. Things that are incidental, things that are accidental, or things that are not necessary of who you are. But yet, in light of all this, if there's something that people would not like us for, I hope it is that is because of our faith, not because we were jerks. Not because we were mean, okay? Not because we have done something bad. Not because we've sinned against them. Not because we are, what, the uh, the weakest in our company, whatever else. But let it be that it is for our faith. As application, we live in this day and age, right? How many of us, by honestly, by raise of hand, if you feel like this, right? Feel that in our day and age, it is kind of scary. That you feel people might misrepresent what you believe. And take things out of context and therefore have a mob that makes you lose your job or have you people show up in your home or anything else. Raise your hand. Anyone else feel that way? Or am I the only one? Raise of hand. Okay. I feel that way. Okay. By the way, this is like, I think we've gone over this before. I've went over statistics and other sermons where everyone feels like that except for one group in the political spectrum, the very liberal. Okay. Even progressives are being canceled out in our day and age. Knowing that makes me realize, helps me, comforts me a little more that we're not the only one. But in this day and age, I think also realize we're called to still be faithful. You guys realize God tells us we are called to still represent God and not denounce Him and blaspheme Him. How could we denounce God who's been so good to us? He came and died and saved us. And in this scary world where people could be working as teachers, people could cancel you out, you could be working as caretaker you could even baking bakery 
right, in our day and age, and have people go out and cancel you, right? Driving hundreds of miles just to find a Christian baker, just to, even though the Supreme Court again and again says there's no case with the master's baker, people still keeps on bringing lawsuit and harassing them again and again with all of this. Who's to say that's not you and I? Who's to say that would not be? And who? how many of us feel that is like wonder we have the courage if i could just say for myself i feel like in the marines one of the things that i love about the marines when we're not talking to a civilian when if you listen into a conversation among fellow marines i think there's a sense where people are very honest with our fears there's no phony tough but but there's not like pansy either like a sense of like saying okay it's all about emotion and therefore we're not going to do what is right right there's a lot of yelling doing you know risky moments you know to do what is right but there's no phony tough in the sense that I think it's, to be very honest, you can see someone that's very brave and yet in the next moment be very, what, does something that seems like, wow, he was really, really scared. And normally we don't say this in front of others, right? But I feel I could be honest, no need for phony tough. I always feel the best way to deal with having courage is to start with faithful of little, faithful of much, yes? To live out your small faith uh, well, first, faithful and little. It starts with your devotional life. If you can't be faithful when things in private, what makes we think that in the things of public, you'll be faithful? And in our world of 2021, do we not see even our discussion to, uh, of our discussion that there are some Christians who, or even quote-unquote Christians, or even general Christians, whose private life does not match their public life? Have we not seen this recently? Have we not even seen Ravi Zacharias, for instance, a public life is a great defender of the faith, great speaker, but in his private life apparently was doing a lot of sexual immorality of some of the most heinous kinds possible. This is, should be a tall order to remind us that the private matters first. That take your spiritual life. I don't know what it will look like. I don't know what it will look like to face the opposition, to know what's compromised. I feel that all, all those times I've ever lived out my faith courageously in a hostile uh, environment where people have tried to hurt me uh, and hurt others around me, I've always felt the only way that I was able to live that out is by saying, I'm going to just take it moment by moment. Being loving Him is the strongest motivation. If you're only thinking of duty, then it will be very easy to compromise. But I find in my own life, the only time would have been courageous is saying, I had a strong reading of God's word, a strong reminder that God loved me so much. He's been so gracious. Then that motivates me to say, you know what? Here's someone that is asking, are you really a Christian? And they want to hit or punch me and say, yes, I can't deny my Savior and be ready to embrace that punch. That's the only way. This is not a sermon of phony tough. This is not, you know, a Marine Corps had to say, hey, you know what? There's the few, the proud, the brave, none of that. This is not a brave heart sermon. This is a sermon that says our power and our weakness is to look at God, to renew our spiritual life, that our world is crazy, that the world is crazy, there's a cancel culture out there, that the world is crazy, that the political circumstance of the world is so nutty, right? In our world and very dangerous, whatever else, but still don't neglect the benefit of a personal life of prayer and reading of God's word. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we pray, Lord, use Daniel 6 and his preaching to renew our desire to love you. 
I pray, Lord, that this message would sink deep into all of our hearts. If anyone does not know you today, save them and allow them to hunger for your word and for believers that our hunger would hunger more, that we look to the word of God as the buffet that could only fulfill what our heart longs the most for, a relationship with God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's take uh, to say our highs.